1: of everybody and welcome to episode number nine hot near of the lone gunman podcast it's your boy rob clark at the helm of the ship and once again thank you everybody for checking this stuff out listening liking downloading response again has been incredible i know i say this every time but it, i'm still blown away by exactly how much and i appreciate it doug appreciates it and Please, check out Doug Campbell's podcast, The Dallas Action. You can find him on Spreaker and Facebook just by searching his name or the name of his podcast. And same goes for me. And, of course, everything we talk about, we try and post uh, relative links up on Facebook, on our relative Facebook pages. And, uh, you know, so you can follow along with pictures, with testimony, with documents, so you know exactly what we're talking about. Because... We may sound we may sound like we don't know what the hell we're talking about sometimes, but I know for me, and I know from Doug, that we really don't say anything unless we can back it up in some form or fashion, or at least have an argument about it, and or discussion, if if, if that's how you want to put it. But uh, yeah, we try to back everything we say up with uh, you know evidence testimony pictures and uh, try to bring some of this stuff to life so you can actually see it and, and hold it for yourself and use, do your own sniff test and see if this stuff shakes out for you and uh, see if you form the same opinion as we do from it um, it's like I say this this podcast is, is my opinion and my opinion only and you know my opinion is based on certain things and it might differ from yours when it comes to the end conclusion, but just know that I don't take anything willy-nilly, and I won't dismiss anything out of hand until I check it out first. And uh, so, that's out of the way. Episode 9 today, we are going to talk a little bit about periphery characters. That's right. I can barely say the word periphery. They are characters involved in the assassination in some form or fashion, normally on the edges in uh, not-so-big roles, maybe either inserted by themselves or by others into the narrative, whether it be to... Satisfy their delusional mindset. Uh, you know, gain notoriety, fame, money. Be it what it may, and, and and Doug touched on a good one in his last podcast, and I urge you all to check it out. Uh, Madeline Duncan Brown, and uh, she's just a periphery character, and there's you know a lot of debate on whether or not she's credible, and there's evidence as to why she she's not and not a whole lot as to why she is so but for more on madeline brown please check out doug's podcast i believe it was a episode eight uh, on the dallas action there um so tonight we're going to talk a little bit about and and this will be something we revisit i'm sure many times in the future we'll come back to different periphery characters you know and uh There's a lot of famous ones out there, of course, you know, like Judith Baker, Chauncey Holt, you know, Charles Harrelson, I mean, you name it, James Files. But tonight, we're going to talk about somebody named Roderick McKenzie III. And a lot of you are probably saying, who in the Sam hell is Roderick McKenzie III? Well, I'm going to tell you. Old Roderick came to my attention last year uh, in searching for things you know, like I like to do. Just surfing the net, you know, seeing what I can find. Probably looking for something totally different and stumbling upon it. But I ran across an article written by Joan Dark about Roderick and his story. And quite frankly, it seems to me to be an amalgamation of Damn near everything you've ever heard about the Kennedy assassination, involving every character you've heard about the assassination, and a lot of it focuses around. I would say it's mostly an amalgamation of uh, the Richard, Richard Sprague's take on how the assassination went down there in Dallas, and the, the uh, Torbid document. Um, <laughs> where to start with this guy? Now his story even including his background is very similar to that of Chauncey Holt and we might talk about Chauncey in the future but if you don't know who Chauncey Holt is feel free to google him and look it up but if you're familiar with the JFK assassination you know who Chauncey Holt is he was alleged to be one of the three tramps there Um, Now, according to Roderick he had a background with the uh, where he was tied in heavily with the Mafia and Johnny Rosselli was his main handler but he had also had ties to the Chicago Mafia and Sam Giancana and he basically worked in the old days as a animal trainer, circus performer, carnival carny and you know, traveled around a lot and he had was working for the mafia It's kind of a peanut operation i guess you could call it as a you know where he would he would pull these this trailer that had like three three games or something like three carnival games and of course they were crooked and meant for you know you to lose you know you know he got your money and of course you know he gave a cut of it to his higher ups you know and i'm uh, I don't know exactly how carny shit works, but I'm guessing that's how it works. And, you know, of course, he either manned the things, or he paid somebody to man them. And, you know, he had to worry about people skimming off of him, and it's whatever. But then, he speaks of... I think he went in the military, and he was eventually... Sent to Fort Detrick, Maryland, to the Seals and Flaps School, which is supposedly the same place that Chauncey Holt went. And now Chauncey Holt was a circus performer, Carney. and he also was sent to the Seals and Flaps School to learn about making false identification, which is what Roderick specialized in as well. And he said he came to their attention because he 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 had uh, he had mastered for the mafia a uh, something like a three suitcase system where he, it was a complete thing and he, he did like you know top quality work and uh, they wanted him to get even more professional so they sent him to this school and uh, you know he was set up with like the best equipment known to man and pe- you know people were sent to him all the time that needed IDs for, for this, that, or the other for you know military, civilian, government, use, whatever you know, if you needed a, a fake ID for something, he made it. And he even claims to have made the Alec Heidel ID for Lee Oswald. Okay. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so that tells you, you know, what kind of guy this was. But he said, in it, you know, amongst his travels, you know, and, and working for, for Roselli and, and uh, this kind of little crew out of Vegas and California and Chicago you know he circumvented the country with his traveling Carney show or whatever and you know what when none of this stuff was going on you know I guess that he got given odd jobs by by the mafia to do things and one of the things they asked him to do was to head to Texas a couple weeks before the assassination and Uh, take care and operate a safe house on holland avenue in dallas now part of his duties i guess you could call him as a safe house operator was uh you know to take care of the property on the outside uh just make sure everything ran smooth and nobody was bothered to clean up the inside you know keep it clean and also to uh handle the requests of his uh his boarders you know, that would show up there and need a place to stay, and, you know, he was told not to ask any questions of these people, not to ask who they were, not to ask what they're doing, just give them whatever they want, make their stay nice and pleasant, and get them out in one piece. You know, if they needed food or clothes or whatever, you know, he he got it for them. You know, whatever they needed, he got it for them, basically, and took care of the house and property. You know, of course, he had a free place to stay. Plus, he was getting paid, you know, to do this. Plus, he was getting tipped by the his tenants. So he was making pretty good money back then. And, uh, you know, according to him, a lot of these, a lot of the shady characters, you know, came through Dallas at this time. They were, you know, staying at his safe house. They were staying at Tammy True's safe house. And he speaks of, you know, meeting Jack Ruby hanging out with JD tippett uh, going shooting with Harry Weatherford meeting Roger Craig ma- meeting Lee Oswald meeting David Ferry I mean you name it this guy met them all okay and he interacted with them all of course he claims not to have any prior knowledge to the assassination that you know it was just his job was compartmentalized down into being a safe house operator and that's all he was told and that's all he knew until he got orders to uh... you know get everybody out of there vacate the premises and his job there was done and he speaks of going back you know one day a couple couple days prior to the assassination just to make sure everything was was okay and was met at the door by somebody i think he said it was david ferry and that he could see in and they had maps plastered all over the walls and they were they were guns everywhere and he just figured it was another you know meeting about a Cuban Cuban mission or a training mission or something to that effect because a lot lot of these guys were tied into doing that kind of stuff too you know with the anti-Castro Cubans and and making raids on Cuba so he really didn't think anything of it at the time you know just okay whatever they just told him to get out of there and don't come back everything's fine and uh so he goes on and he claims to be a, to have been sitting in the cafeteria at Baylor University with Johnny Roselli at the time shots were fired in Dallas and of course people have claimed over the years that Roselli was a shooter and he was shooting from the Dow Techs you know and a lot of people you know, tie a lot of these other mob guys into this too and I don't think you can overlook the mob connection at all. And as, as Doug pointed out in his most recent podcast about uh, who were the hit on Oswald, which I highly recommend you go check it out. Um, you know, Jack Ruby's mafia ties were plentiful and deep. And they range from all across the country, all the families... You know, the Marcellos, the Traficantes, the Giancanas, Hoffa, all of them. And that's not to say that the mob orchestrated a hit, but it's to say that they were probably involved in it. You know, because back then, see, the CIA couldn't operate inside the United States. They were a foreign service. You know, they were supposed to be a foreign service, you know, spying on outside the United States. And their charter permits them from actually, quote, working, unquote, in the United States. Especially against the citizens of the United States. So, they would often, you know, contract these mob people who had no qualms about doing dirty things, dealing with drugs, guns, or, excuse me, hits. Killing, um, you know, so they were kind of in bed together. You know, you scratch our back, you know, we'll take care of you, you take care of us, da-da-da. And so, yeah, I, I totally think that they could have been involved, most definitely. And, of course, you know, Fairy's ties to Marcello can't be ignored. You know, the, the actions right after the assassination of Ferry and and, and, uh, and Marcello can't be ignored and of course the allegations by Dean Andrews and stuff can't be ignored and you know it's this kind of thing that is plausible okay now where Roderick's story ventures off into the into the land of fantasy, possibly. And, of course, I don't know. I'm just speculating. But there's a couple things in the story that make you think twice about some things, such as uh, the second floor of the depository being used as a communications headquarters for the assassination. Uh, He claims that Carlos Marcello, David Ferry, and Jack Ruby were on the second floor of the depository during the assassination. And he claims Mac Wallace told him this. Okay. So, and, but, if you're a student of the assassination, you you know Carlos Marcello was in court that day, as and David Ferry was with him. And Jack Ruby was supposedly sitting in a newspaper office at the time of the assassination. So... We know that thing can't be true. Then we got four people, according to Roderick, on the sixth floor of the depository. Mac Wallace, Lee Oswald, Ruth Ann Martinez, and Loy Factor. Okay, which ties in shit from another book that was written 20 years ago called The Men on the Sixth Floor. Which is, you know, of course, the story told by Loy Factor. That, of course, we don't know if it's true or not. It could, you know, he's another one of these periphery characters that's possibly inserted in themselves into the narrative. Um, so there's that. And the, and they he said that uh, Oswald was in some kind of a, that Mac Wallace told him Oswald was in some kind of a trance, like, like hypnotized or some 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 something and this Ruth Ann Martinez woman was also known by another name that I can't remember, it's like Evelyn Estevez or something, I don't know. But he says that she was also the woman in the polka dot dress at the RFK assassination. Okay. Okay. And then we got a team, of course in the Text and a team on the grassy knoll according to him and he also speaks of uh, Albert Bowen and uh, his assassin school in Mexico and all this stuff comes from the Torbid document and of course he claims there was 20 or 30 Mexican assassins there he claims the two have met Jean-Michael Sarty or Sotier or whatever his name is the French Corsican assassin and Christian David, and I think there was one other one. Uh, he, can, he claims they were the Grassy Knoll shooters, they were that team, and they, the uh, the team of the Tramps were supposed to be on the other side of the overpass just in case JFK made it through, they were supposed to finish him off over that, over that way. But I don't know about that. So there's a lot of elements to a story that you're just like, Man, I, you know, it just sounds like a conglomeration of a ton of different stories. And why I'm talking about Roderick is because of this. Now, like I said, I read that article last year about him, but I also recently heard him interviewed on the rate, you know, on radio on Jim Fetzer's show. And you know, hearing somebody speak is different than reading it. You know, usually my bullshit detector is works better when I'm hearing somebody actually speak. And, again, this is just my own opinion. What it sounds like to me is that the man was on the periphery edges of this thing. And was an avid reader of various assassination theories and books. And over the years, you know, inserted himself into this narrative and meeting all these people and and uh, creating a a whole little narrative. I mean, he even includes, you know, he says he set up his carny games out at, you know, H.L. Hunt, Clint Murchison's places, and, and had parties with them. And you know, he claims to know everybody. I mean, anybody who is anybody that that is considered. Suspect, He knew him, or so he says. And, of course, the guy's 80 years old now, okay? And he wrote, he self-published a book, I think it was in 2009, and I'm trying to remember the name of it. The Men Who Didn't Fit In, or The Man Who Didn't Fit In, Some, something to that effect. And I'll post a, a link to a, a free download of that book you can just click on it and it downloads as a pdf and you can read it on your your device um, I'll post a link to that in Facebook I'll post a link to the article I'll post all kinds of stuff for you as it relates to Roderick. and you know hearing him talk like I said it sounds to me like almost like Judy Baker where, where they're so delusional that they actually start believing their own bullshit. And, you know, I hate to say it, but I don't know what is going on with with, with Fetzer. I mean, it's like, you know, I, I would just like to hear a real researcher on his radio show just one time. You know, it seems like he always gets the kooks and, and the freaks and the sideshow people And, you know, promotes their crazy-ass stories and crazy theories and, you know, gives them a forum where nobody else will, and there's probably a good reason for it. Um, you know, and I I hate to call anybody a liar, but because I don't know, I'm sure elements of the story are true. You know, but it's, what it sounds to me is that, you know, this guy's convinced himself that, you know, he'd met all these people and inserts himself into the story because, you know, once again, all these people are dead. They're all dead. There's nobody to defend themselves. And he has no proof, no evidence, no photos, no nothing of anything. You know, all these mob guys are dead. All these suspects are dead. You know, it's just another one of those stories that you, you can either take it or leave it. And personally, I'll I'll leave it, or at least part of it. You know, possibly the the story of him running the safe house is true. You know, but all the rest of it, he claims Mac Wallace told him in a drunken stupor, and, and that he was running into the bathroom and writing these this stuff down on toilet paper, and you know he even claimed to get a job at Parkland Hospital right after the assassination so he can hear what the doctors were talking about you know regarding the assassination and and things like that I mean he's he claims to have left the country shortly after that going to Canada and then on to Europe working in circuses and carnivals over there eventually coming back getting into nursing and I don't know but you know like I said, I'll post the links to the to the radio interview, his book, the article, read for it, judge for yourself, come to your own conclusions, but I, I figured I'd talk about him a little bit because a lot of people haven't heard his story, and, you know, everybody deserves to have their story heard, you know, and it's up to us to ultimately pass judgment on truth or bullshit, but... I just want to talk a little bit about him today because, you know, it's recent, the recency effect of, of, of hearing that interview and then going back and and reading the article and sparking, sparking all this stuff back in my memory. Um, so yeah, so check everything out. I'll post everything up on Facebook. Please continue to keep liking us and sharing it and giving us feedback because we love it you know it's 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 insane i still haven't learned how to comment on Spreaker, so forgive me if i don't get back to you that way but get at me on facebook it's the Lone gunman podcast you can find that page or you can write to me personally at the Lone podcast at gmail.com uh, please check out doug campbell's podcast the dallas action he's doing good work over there as usual he had a couple technical difficulties last week. Spilling his sweet tea all over the place. But he's back. And uh, he's better than ever. So please check Doug out. I love, I love listening to the guy. He's just, he, he knows his stuff and, and he's meticulous and he can back up whatever he says. And I thank all of y'all for listening and Please continue to. Because like I said, I think that what me and Doug are doing are is, is filling a void. Because like I said, I see thousands of people that are just on Facebook. You know, in all these JFK assassination groups. And we all, we all have a common thread. We just love talking about the assassination. We, we love researching it. We love bouncing theories off each other. We love arguing with each other. And it's, it's just another outlet. You know, like I said before, Black Ops Radio is great, but, and I wish it was on every day, <laughs> but it's not. And so hopefully, you know, what me and Doug are doing will help fill in some gaps for the, the research community and the, and the assassination buffs. And if there's anything at all you want us to talk about, you know, we're, between the two of us, we'll figure it out. And we're pretty knowledgeable in just about every aspect of this case and uh, just let us know and we we'll, we we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it you know we got no qualms about anything we'll address anything we'll give you our opinion we'll shoot straight and uh, but that's it for today thank you for listening we we really do appreciate everybody out there and uh, like i said please visit our facebook pages it's very important you know your liking us and and the, the amount of downloads And the amount of listens are off the chart on Spreaker. I mean, if you search for JFK as a tag word on Spreaker, me and Doug are killing it compared to everybody else. I mean, everybody else has like 20 listens, you know, no downloads. And these are like really well-produced shows. And, you know, Doug's killing it over there with thousands of listens, you know. And I'm getting there. You know, so I think it's up to like seven hundred fifty or seven seventy something like that, but you know it's averaging out to shit almost fifty people a day listening at least, and that's great, man, you know it's it's about forty nine more than I figure would listen, but uh, yeah, so that's it for now, and that was episode number Nina nine nine and I thank you for listening. Until next time, people, be cool, take care of yourself, keep up the JFK research, and always keep searching for the truth, and keep JFK spirit alive in your heart. Spread the word, people. We're doing big things. Spread it. Spread that word. All right, I'm going to get off here because it's hotter than Satan's asshole outside today, and I'm sitting here sweating my ass off. And hopefully episode 10 will be a lot cooler and i'll be a lot more comfortable until then people peace out